podcast. I'm Andrew McGregor, and with each installation of this podcast, we're going to explore the world of spirituality, what it means to be alive, and how is it that we can bring our spiritual selves, tarot, meditation, religious or spiritual practices into our daily lives. Please check out all of our episodes at thehermitslamp.com slash podcasts, or you can search The Hermit's Lamp in podcasts on iTunes, catch it on Stitcher Radio or other services along those lines on your smartphones or wherever you like. I am super excited to announce that I have just released an Oracle deck that I have created called the 90 Question Deck. It is available on Game Crafters and through me, and it is a series of profound questions combined with artwork, in fact, 90 of them, to create the foundation for a reading. If you're a charm caster, they make a great base for you to spread out and make a reading casting area and cast your charms on. If you're a journaler or a meditator or any of these kinds of things, um, they're a fantastic place to start. They can help get you out of being stuck at some point in your process. And I often use them with clients as a closing for the reading to send them off and help them take what they've learned out into the world. So if this sounds like your cup of tea, uh, please check it out, thehermitslamp.com, uh, or if you search 90 questions on Game Crafters, you can get it there, especially if you're in the States, that might be the best option. So welcome to another episode of the Hermit Lamp Podcast. I am here today with Shelley Carter, and we are going to be talking about death. The end, the, 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 fi- the finish line, that thing that's out there waiting for all of us at some point, hopefully none too soon. Um, you know, we're going to talk about this in all its manifestations. But for people who don't know you, Shelley, why don't you give us a little intro to who you are and what okay. you're up to. So I am a psychotherapist by day. Um, trained as an occupational therapist. So I'm a, just for the purposes of this podcast, I'm a mixture of science and um, metaphysical, I would say. Met- uh, scientists would say I'm too metaphysical. Metaphysical people might think I'm too much science, but I am somewhere in the middle there. I coordinated the Allura Tarot Project in 2013, which was the creation of a collaborative tarot deck by... 65 artists from around Alora, Ontario. Alora is a beautiful historic village that has two rivers running through it. Um, just great space to be creative and feel inspired. And most recently, uh, because that was quite a successful project, I took on a new project which was called Death Perceptions. And again, a group project, group, group art project, with a hundred artists this time and 130 pieces all related to death and dying it was also incredibly well received mm-hmm. um yeah i've just never ceases to amaze me that this little community uh dumps on the ideas and seems to love it mm-hmm. and and sort of contrary to what you might expect the main feedback about death perceptions has been that People found it very uplifting, which was wonderful. I couldn't have asked for anything better. 
That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because on the one hand, nobody wants to talk about death. And on the other hand, when given half a chance, everybody wants to talk about <laughs> death, right? Right. And so there's this, this very interesting sort of um, paradox or contradiction happening there. Yeah. We're not very healthy about death, I don't think, in general in our society. We sort of do everything we can to avoid acknowledging its existence. So even when people die, we make them up so they look like maybe they're just sleeping. Of course, they never look like they're just sleeping. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think there's a million ways that we try to avoid this. And here we are, the aging baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're all on that downward side of the, the peak, right? And so we're at least facing the deaths of our parents. Mm-hmm. Several friends, several heroes like David Bowie and Gordon sure. Downey. And, yeah, it's been it's a year just, of it, right? Yes, it really has. Mm-hmm. So... You know, we we are going to be dealing with it whether we want to or not. So I'm I guess I'm looking at ways that we can be a little bit healthier about mm-hmm. it and just trying to bring the conversation to the community uh, to you know don't be scared. It's just part of life and and hopefully approach it differently than we have been. So how do how do people not be scared? <laughs> I think um, you know if you if you spend your whole life trying to avoid the topic, it just gets charged with this huge mystery. Mm -hmm. When you talk to people, they're actually not afraid of being dead. They're afraid of how they're going to get there. Mm -hmm. So everybody's afraid that they're going to be in prolonged pain or Mm -hmm. that it will be burdensome to their family or that they won't look nice or things like that. Um, And, you know, up until recently, we certainly haven't had a way to avoid that but we do have choices now with the uh, medical assisted dying Mm -hmm. which i guess is still being worked out but it looks like we're heading that way right um and certainly we have we can make lots of choices you can you can opt not to have drastic measures um Mm -hmm. when you're when you're ailing um and then when you die you don't have to be buried if you don't want um even cremation there's alternatives to cremation now because it has a pretty large carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. The, the, it has to be 2,500 degrees. Right. So that's, uh, you know, has some... It's toasty. Yes, a little toasty. Yeah. So now there's um, chemical ways to... I think they call it biocremation. Mm. That kind of melts the tissue. So I'm going to be really graphic now because these are people listening to a podcast about death. Yeah, so yeah. presumably they're there. open. They're open to it. So um, if you if you don't want to go there, <laughs> wherever this is going now, just stop. Turn it off. Come back next episode. We'll talk about other things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, biocremation, which so they use potash and something else, and the chemical process melts the tissue mm-hmm. and can just be flushed, mm. you know, into the water system. Sound, sounds like a CSI episode it where the mobsters get rid of you know, yes. the evidence, right? But then there's the bones. Yeah. That's, so then they microwave the bones. Okay. And they can be crumbled so you end up with cremains just like you would with burning but much lower carbon footprint and apparently not toxic or anything to the environment either. Fascinating. Yes. Very, very. cool. Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> I was pretty young when I started getting into Alistair Crowley when I was like 13, 12, 13. I got my first set of books from him and stuff like that. And in one of the books, which was just these table correspondences, there was one that was labeled um, 
meditations on your own, the 40 Buddhist meditations on your own corpse or something like that. And when I read it, and it's just this list of like, you know, being eaten by birds, like being like burned, being this like whatever, right? Yeah. And, uh, and there was, there's no instructions, right? It's just like this list of, of things. And I was like, huh. And so at a, at a certain point when I was a teenager, I spent a, a chunk of time meditating on picturing my own body and then picturing these things happening to it. Oh, wow. Which, you know, was, was kind of, I think the start of really changing my relationship to that stuff. Right? And of course it would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you looked at it, not just as a concept, but very personally yeah. and, and in depth. Yeah. Plans A, B, C, D. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, if I, if this happened to me and I was in the wilds, then animals would probably eat my body. And, right. You know, and that kind of stuff. And it's, yeah. it's very interesting to sort of like really, really sort of step into and engage that kind of possibilities. Right. At least for me, it was, you know yeah. I mean? And I, I think it's, yeah, it's very interesting. And I think, you know, we don't see the different possibilities now because most people, Go to the hospital when they're sick. Yeah. Um, and if they're if they survive that initial problem, whatever it is, they often end up in a nursing home. So people die in the hospital or the nursing home, rarely at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole the whole sort of process is removed from us. Yeah. It's managed largely by healthcare workers, and I mean they'll ask family for their input, but we do kind of defer to the healthcare workers because we think they know. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think um, we're we're just not exposed. It's different than seeing somebody dying at home and having conversations at any time of the day or night. Yeah, you can't be at the hospital any time of the day or night, mm-hmm. and even after they die, you can't go and visit them in the funeral home. Yeah, it, you, there's prescribed hours when you have to be there. I love the old system of you know the person, the dead being at home. Yeah, and you sit with them. Mm-hmm. And you can commune or talk to them whenever you want. And yeah, yeah people come and see them in their natural surroundings, which mm-hmm. seems just a lot healthier. Yeah. Well, and when I was in India, uh, I was in Varanasi. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, in Varanasi on the banks of the Ganges, they, they cremate people mm-hmm. basically continuously, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just this, this thing. And so you go to this spot and they're doing their ceremonies and people are you know, singing and, and doing, doing their ceremonies and crying and the person's being cremated and, you know, the, the cremation is then, what's left is then tossed in the river and so on. And, you know, on the one hand, it's a little gross that a hundred feet down the road, people are brushing their teeth in the river. Yes. But on the other hand, it really speaks to this sort of lack of distinction being made, right? And like, you know, 30 feet down the street within visual range, there's a cart selling food and there's the solid fabric and there's like mm-hmm. life and death are completely interwoven. And part of the community. And part of the, the community. Sense, yes. and, and these people and their bodies are brought from wherever they are down through the streets because there's no, you know, in this part of Varanasi, the, the roads such as they are, are maybe five feet wide. And there's often like lots of things in those roads you got to navigate around. So who are just carrying the body down and, and it's just there for everybody to see all the time. Right. 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 And it's sacred space. And it's sacred space. Yeah. 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 The, the person who was tending the fire that they used to, uh, to light the cremations, 
uh, told me that the fire in that place has been burning continuously for 5,000 years. Oh, wow. There's something kind of wonderful about that, though. Mm-hmm. Going the same route or the same way yeah. that people have for 5,000 years. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. kind of remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Mm-hmm. So, what about, what about those of us who get left behind? Yeah, so so the grieving thing. Um, and, and that's part of what prompted me, I think, to do this as well, is that in my job as a psychotherapist... I deal with people who are grieving. Yeah. And they really didn't seem to to know what to expect about grief. So some people would come to me and say, you know, my friend says, wow, you're still crying. It's been three months. I think you need to go and see somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's like three months, you know, you were married to that person for 30 years, say. You're not going to be over it in three months. In fact, you're not going to be over it. You will make adjustments to it. You will go on to have a life without that person. But the expectations just, I was surprised what what people thought. So, and and a large part of the grief work that I do is just giving people permission, really, Mm. to to grieve as long as they need to grieve. And if, you know, if odd things start happening, then I'll help them with that. But mostly it's just grief. Yeah. yeah, and it's not the same for everyone. Yeah. And the other thing I think um, a myth that needs to be dispelled is the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross oh, piece. Wow. So she talked about people grieving for their own terminal illness, and she talked about different stages of grief. Mm. Um, I, I can't list them all off, but they were like Acceptance, bargaining, anger, accept, yes, right, and yeah. all of that. So then people come with, when they're grieving and they think, I haven't done that bargaining stage yet, or I, oh, I'm stuck in, and it's like, well, for n- number one, that was never talking about the loss of someone else. It was about facing your own mortality mm-hmm. and terminal illness. And number two, it's just, we don't fit into lists like yeah. that. It's different for everyone. So mm-hmm. that seems to be a big relief as well. Yeah. You know, uh, some people know and some people don't, but, uh, uh, so Seven years ago, I lost two of my brothers within six weeks of each other. And uh, I learned a lot about death and grieving and, and so on through that time, right? And the there are two things that I found ultimately kind of the most helpful, right? And one was, um, because both of them were tragic, right? Um, you know, both of them were unexpected and, you know, tragic deaths. And... Um, one was there are certain ways of thinking about grief that dig you in deeper, you know? And like, you know, one of my brothers took his own life and, you know, and I find myself like picturing and pondering like what what was going through his mind? What was his experience? What got him right to that space? What did he experience when he started? Did he regret it? Did he, you're like, and I find myself like digging in and digging in and digging in. The unanswerable. Yeah. And, you know, at the time I kind of, I phrased it as, I need to stop thinking about the horror of that end and whether that's a person suffering medically or whether, you know, whatever, but like just going these, this little pocket of things, nothing comes from looking at that really, at least for me, you know? Right. Right. And so this sort of, uh, learning to, to turn my attention when my mind would, you know, start down this thing, oh, it sucks. They're dead. I'm sad. And then it would lead to sort of like 
at a certain point, sort of these more and more, you know, difficult, you know, as I call them, horrific yeah. notions. And I was like, at a certain point, I learned, I'm like, nope, this is the place I stop here. Right. I, I, I'm looking at it, I've experienced it, I'm pondering it, and I'm not going any further down that road. Because right. that would then create these cascades further, and you just start to spiral into it, right? Yeah. So. And probably, I mean, that's sort of more in your face, that kind of profound way of thinking, especially after someone suicides. Mm-hmm. But I think that is part of the grieving process, is to you kind of dip your toe in all kinds of things that you wouldn't normally, right? And mm-hmm. take yourself to places you've never had to yeah. before. Yeah. Kind but, of interesting that you also say, okay, enough is enough. Like, I've, mm-hmm. I've explored enough in that, and now I need to start yeah. looking at a different... And, and with, the, with the people, you know, and the family members that I know, who even now, many, many years later, are still grieving it, you know, whatever, they're, they're also continuing to dip their toe into those places, right? Right. And and that was kind of part of it for me was being like, this is making everybody else here really, really upset and not helping them, doesn't appear to be helping them to move forward in any way, right? Right. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try and turn from that attention, right? Yeah. And the other thing that I, that, that I think tremendously helped me through that time was the notion that still got to do something with your time, right? right? It's right. like, yeah, this sucks, and yeah, they're gone, and yeah, all of these things, but, like, I still have 24 hours in every day. And, and I still life. Have, and I still have many years in front of me, hopefully, and, and all of these things. And and there can be this notion about death that it, uh, unlike, unlike what happens in India, or in Varanasi, this notion that death, overshadows and consumes everything in our life and that it's not appropriate to continue to engage in other things or to enjoy stuff right. or to, you know, go out for dinner or, like, watch a stupid TV show and laugh or, like, right. anything, right? Like, yes. And, and the sort of notion that, no, i got to do something with my time. i got to keep... i gotta, I, I got to keep moving because otherwise I'm just going to, like, sit around and do nothing and be sad for 24 hours a day. Right. You know? Yeah, we don't really have those rituals. So, you know, Victorian England, they were very good at death. Uh-huh. They had all kinds of prescribed rituals, like you wear a black for this amount of time. Yeah. You, um, you know, put things on the horse's feet so they don't make as much noise. You have black wreaths on the door so that people know you've, you've had a loss. Um, and then after a certain period of time, you can wear different clothes. You can take the wreath down. There's, you know, there's lots of prescribed kind of things that you can work through mm-hmm. towards recovery. Yeah. And we don't really have that. I mean, we have, you know, three days of visitation and then the funeral. Yeah. And then for most of the people that are at a funeral, it's over. Mm-hmm. But for the family and the loved ones, so that that's just touching the surface of what they're going to be dealing with, yeah. including all kinds of government things and stuff like that too. So For sure. Yeah. Um, it would help, again, like if we did have more rituals and more public discussion mm-hmm. of this is what happens, this is what you can expect. Yeah, for sure. I was also thinking when you were talking about your brother, I mean, suicide is particularly difficult, right? It's usually a younger person, you, and it's extremely difficult to understand what on earth they were thinking. Mm-hmm. And we also tend to hang our hats on one regret Mm-hmm. Like if I'd known, or if I had visited when I didn't that day, yeah. would that have made a difference? 
So we, I, there's a lot of that. And even the healthiest deaths, there seem to be that regret that just take a while to kind of work through. Mm-hmm. Like eventually you find a way to kind of frame that for yourself and put it away. And I think with suicide, that just takes longer because the person is obviously in such emotional pain in mm-hmm. order to do that. And you, we can't, can't understand it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think too that there's a, you know, at least for me, um, accepting that I can't save people and that, I, you know, I, it's, it's, there's nothing I could have done to save them. Um, and that if people are committed in those directions, there's nothing we can do. You know, and I was talking to a friend shortly after who lost a sibling to suicide and they had been going by that person's house every day for months and months and months and checking on them and what, you know, and so on. And, you know, and eventually they got so burned out and then they didn't go for a few days. And then that was of course when the person took their life, but you can't, it's not, it's not possible. Like to literally hold somebody in this world if they don't want to be here. Right. You know, agreed. And it's also very difficult to understand the depth of the despair yeah. that they must be struggling with. Because we obviously don't mm-hmm. struggle with that. We can be depressed and things like that, but not the kind of despair that makes you think it's easier to be dead than to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. Or that that seems like the preferred option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah really sure. hard one to wrap yeah. your head around. So I guess this brings us to a question, which we posted on Facebook and asked people, uh, you know, to like pitch in their questions and, uh, you know, we, we got some like very profound and existential questions that we're going to make uh, Shelly work very hard for today. So sure. what, what do you think happens? You die. What's next? What goes on? Yeah. Where, where do you go? So, I, yeah, I was, uh, I was blown away by that question, actually. Um, and the thing is, and here's my science piece, I guess, coming out, is that we just don't know, right? Uh-huh. Um, obviously, most cultures embrace some notion of, you know, things will be better in some uh-huh. way. So we, we get a chance to do it all again yeah. <laughs> with reincarnation. Or we are all reunited. Our loved ones are waiting for us in the light and mm-hmm. we go into the light and greet them. And they're all beautiful notions. Personally, I love the idea of the summer lands where I'll be reunited with pets and loved ones. And, you know, I, that's, that's lovely. But ultimately... We have no idea. Mm-hmm. And and part of that is just what makes this an issue in the first place. We don't know. And there's been some ideas sort of poised, posed as well that um, it's not, no, it's dying that makes life worth living. Mm-hmm. Like if it was interminable, we wouldn't, we wouldn't embrace it as much as we do. It's just knowing that it comes to an end that makes it meaningful and helps us to look for purpose and enjoy it because we're here for a short time. So I kind of like that mm. as well. There's a book uh, by Patricia Pearson. She's a Canadian author and it's called Opening Heaven's Door. Mm-hmm. And she talks about kind of unusual experiences around death. So I think she gave the example of her father coming to her in the middle of the night, sitting on the end of her bed when at the moment that he died. Mm-hmm. So she kind of explores those, a little bit of research Kind of focused yeah. uh, exploration as well, and 
you know, for people who are wondering what's beyond that might be a book that would be helpful mm-hmm. to read. I, I found it quite lovely. Yeah. And I like the idea of something magical happening. But sometimes I think I didn't remember anything before I got here. Mm-hmm. Chances are I'm not going to remember anything after I'm mm-hmm. gone either. But I still want to make the best of the time that I yeah. have here. You know, my, my eldest uh, was like two or three years old and she was sitting looking at her hand and she looked up at me and said last time I was here I was really wrinkly right yeah. you know profound profound things yeah um, you know and I mean for me I feel like um, I mean I feel like I know what happens so and, what do you think happens and certainly for myself I know what what happens yeah um but I think that in general what happens is um, many of the, all of the sort of various world religion possibilities are, are potentially true in one way or another, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I certainly believe in reincarnation. Um, I, I have uh, experienced uh, where that has happened and sort of seen spirits come back and have spirits tell me right. that they're leaving to come back. Um, so I definitely believe in that. I believe that it's also uh, certainly possible to um, have a have a spiritual life, but still be attached to the world. So one of my spirit guides, Melinda, um, you know, has been dead for about three hundred or so years, and hanging around, watching out, and following the lineage of of her family, and uh, and not only the lineage of her family, but also. The reincarnation of the spirits that she lived with, even though she has chosen to stay on the other side and guide them as opposed to reincarnate. Right? Very interesting. Yeah. Um, I believe that uh, in certain situations, spirits can take on an almost deific, uh, deific thing. You know, if we look at, you know, in, um, you know, in my my Lukumi Arisha practice, there are spirits that we venerate as Orishas who were human beings, you know, hundreds of years ago. And they left such a significant mark that their veneration and all of the people venerating them elevated them, you know, provided them that energy and moved them on to the other side. Mm-hmm. And I also think that people can go and join source, whatever that might mean. Right. And sort of, uh, you know, be like a drop that truly returns to the ocean and loses its individuality right, again. Right. You know? Um, and I think that people, you know, I don't, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in hell. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are very difficult afterlives sometimes for people. Don't you hope so? Sometimes, like, it really, really helps with to cope with what's been happening in, the li- in life. <laughs> to think that there's some divine justice yeah. for those people in death. Yeah. yeah. You know, I yeah. mean... Um, but also for that, yeah, definitely. Um, but also, you know, also sometimes for people who, who didn't leave well, right. Who left in a very conflicted and complicated space. I think that that there's this notion that people really like that, you know, we die and everything just, Oh, now it's all good. Right. Everything's better. And I'm like, eh. I've met many spirits that that is not the case for. I think that's interesting. Well, the lost spirits too, that we. Exactly, about, right? right? Yeah. You know? And they, they can't carry, find their way. Can't find their way. 
and, and, and that's and in some ways that's almost a mis, misnomer to me. Mm-hmm. They um, they can't resolve their stuff. Mm-hmm. They couldn't let go of it here, so they can't let go of it there. Right. So therefore, they're kind of stuck in a loop until well, something, right? Yeah. 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 Mm. Interesting concept. Yeah. Yeah, for so, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope I hope there's something lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely hope there isn't something nasty, and then I, and then when it comes to be my time, I can I can <laughs> let go and do what I'm supposed to do. I've, I've been good. I've yeah. been good. Let me in the good place, exactly. please, please, please. Yeah. Actually, what I'd love ultimately is to be able to come back about every hundred years or so, mm-hmm. just just for a peek at what's happening in uh-huh. the world. Yeah. Because I I think about you know in the past when they used to do surgeries and they didn't think about washing their hands and people were dying of infection. Yeah. And then somebody learned, oh, you know, if we wash our hands, the, the risks are lower. Yeah. What are we doing now that's that obvious uh-huh. that we're missing? Yeah. <laughs> that we're just not, yeah, we're not seeing. So I'd love to be able to come back and just kind of check on world progress. Well, let's, let's play a pretend game. Okay. What, what are we doing now around death that, that in a hundred years of philosophical and other uh, you know, growth and maturation of our cultures, we might we might look back and be like, huh, that's, that's a good thing we stopped doing those things. That's a good question. Well, I think, I mean, I just think we're ridiculous about death. So I think uh-huh. in our society, like, can you believe that we, you know, put makeup on dead people and all of the things to make, like there's, you know, some of the stuff that they do to make people look, Mm-hmm. like they're sleeping is outrageous mm. yeah we don't hear about that stuff we probably should i'm not going to talk about it either but yeah no, but, exactly. but yeah check it out it's you, you'll you'll opt for a different system so those the lengths that we will go to to yeah. pretend that death isn't really death and that it doesn't change us and yeah, yeah change our body as we're dying and all of that yeah, yeah. I, I think that you know it's to me, that, that kind of feeds back into, um, you know, we could change our ideas about death, and we should, I think. Yeah. I think it'd be great to be more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not that we want it, like, no, please, like, I want to hang out for as long yes, as absolutely. as long as I can enjoy this party, right? Yeah. Um, but I also think that that then starts to work backwards to a person's life through, like, the cult of youth and the way in which everything is about being young and if, we're, you know, and sort of not really acknowledging you know, like these things and the way in which we're actually aging and, you know, and all that stuff. value as we're aging. Yeah, yeah. right. Yes, you know, yes. and, and I think that like if we could look at, if we could look at sort of this uh, life as a, a progression of, of things where all of it is natural, natural, not necessarily all of it is entirely desirable, yet we have to deal with it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and at some point this is going to happen. How does that change what we're doing with our life, right? And I remember, I remember sitting in the subway sometime, sometime in the months after my brother's passed, sitting in a subway station. It was very, very crowded. And I was like sitting there pondering all these sort of existential type things. I'm looking at all these people who are just like carrying their shopping bags and their lunch and like talking on the phone and whatever, right? Like living Not life. conscious. Not, not, well, not, you're being very conscious. Yeah. Yes. And, and I sort of, started looking at them all and wondering, I wonder how many of you people will die before I die? 
And I just sat there and like held this thought for a while and sort of looked at them. And, you know, it kind of sounds a little morbid when I like just throw it out there. But on the other hand, I was like, it, it really highlights this sort of transience of life. Yeah. And the way in which, I mean, we never know, right? But that, yeah. that our lives can have this real transience to it. Yeah. That for me, keeps me engaged in the present and, you know, if people are always like, how do you do so much stuff? And I'm like, it's not going to die. I got stuff I got to do before <laughs> I die. You don't know how many creative ideas I have, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah. And I think death changes us as well. Like, we, we read the book, um, The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion and my book club. Mm-hmm. Half the group, you know, read the book, thought it was somewhat interesting, and the other half of the group thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to break down what what's the difference. And it's a, it's she's talking about the death of her husband uh-huh. and illness of her daughter. And we realized that the people who loved it had had a death. Mm. It changes your perception of the world. Yeah. It makes it conscious, like so that you would sit on the subway looking at people and thinking, you'd be so conscious of life ending, not just for you, your mm-hmm. brother, but for everyone, yeah. right? So it really, it really does change us. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's one of those. It's one of those. Uh, you you enter a group of people who understand something in a way that until you have that experience, it's it's initiatory in a way, right? Yes, it is. It's like having a child. It's like you know. I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, friends friends' dad uh, saying when we when we had our first kid, welcome to the club. Now you're going to understand. Yeah. If you need help, let us know. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's yeah. a little ominous, yeah. right? <laughs> and they probably tried to warn you beforehand. Your life is going to change. Yeah. And I realized there was nothing anybody could have said to me yeah. that would help me understand the depth of how my life was going to change. Yeah. There was no special wording. Like, you just have to experience it. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you. I think it's the same with death. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I also think it's also it's also a very different matter, and I think about this in relationship to me. You know, I see and speak with the dead all the time, right? Right. So, like, I knew that my godmother was dead when she died because uh, because she I saw her. She showed up, right? Wow. And um, you know, and then and then like a little bit later, I picked up my picked up my phone, which was on like silent and. I'd gotten a text message from somebody saying that she had passed a couple oh, hours wow. ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had a friend, uh, I had this roommate who was this, uh, this older gentleman, you know, um, I, I, I needed somewhere, I was supposed to move into this place and, uh, and it fell apart. Like my, my, the person I was supposed to move in told me three days before we were supposed to like give our money and, and take the keys. Uh, he's like, I have no money. I can't move in with you. And I was like, I couldn't afford it on my own. And so this friend from my martial arts club, who was like 60, and I was like 23, 22, was like, I have like a three-bedroom house. Why don't you come live with me for a month and get yourself settled? And then, nice. yeah. yeah, and then after I lived there for a bit, he's like, you know, this is actually, you're a good roommate. You want to stay? So I lived there for like a year and a half. And uh, and I had this dream where he showed up, and I was like, he was hanging out in my kitchen, and I was like, what's going on? Like many years later, right? We yeah. kind of lost touch and stuff. He moved away. And uh, he's like, ah, I just wanted to see if this is work, if this would work or not. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, <laughs> so that was my dream. I was like, Yeah, it did. Yeah, you know? like it totally did, man. Hey, how's it going? You know. 
That's and, okay. uh, you know, so very, so it's a very different matter too in that regard, right? So let me ask you, how, how do you open yourself to that? Because when my mother-in-law died, I was quite close to her. Yeah. I was trying to be open to her coming to visit me. And I had a little one at the time. Yeah. So I'd be up in the middle of the night trying to invite her uh -huh. to, to come and terrified that she would actually show up yeah. too, right? And I, I had a dream about her that, um, where she came and they, it's the dream that everybody talks about, right? Mm -hmm. That they come and say, everything's okay. It's fine over here. It, that was so welcome. Yeah. But how do you open yourself to, to these, or, or are you just born like that? Um, I mean, so, so number one, me and Carrie Paris have been teaching a course on this and yeah. are teaching it again later on. So yeah. if you want something more formal and structured, go and find that and check that out. Yeah. Um, but really it's, it's a lot to do with meditation, right? I mean, I think that my openness to being able to receive and connect with that kind of stuff comes from my background in meditation and my really my training and sort of like Western ceremonial type stuff, right? right? Meditation, visualization, and, you know, work on trying to like sort of loosen up the astral body and sort of reach out and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, but also it comes from a willingness, right? Mm -hmm. And a willingness to, um, to really see what's there, to really sort of, um, be, be fearless to sort of see what's on the other side. Right. Mm -hmm. And to, and to be like, Oh, are you really mad on the other side? Are you really whatever? <laughs> like, are you, you know, right. and, um, you know, and I think that anybody can develop those capacities to varying extents, but certainly mm -hmm. enough to, to have that, but it requires being able to be still, being able to listen. And sometimes, and I think maybe probably most helpful to people who aren't in, interested in like, like really developing this is like, you know, I mean, I've spent 30 years developing this kind of stuff, right? right. But for people who are just like, I just want to like be able to, to be more aware, I would say that it's about noticing when, when kind of synchronicities and things are pointing you in that direction, right? Mm -hmm. Because... Like symbols, you mean? So sim symbols symbols or like, uh, huh, I feel like somebody's here. Now is the time to stop and be like, is that you, Grand? Is that who, you know, who's mm -hmm. here, right? Right. Um, because the, the, the notion that, that people can sort of just sit there and be like, all right, mom, come and tell me, come and prove to me you're here now. Yes. You know, that's, that's like walking through your life with a blindfold on and just being like, all right, Bill, are you there? Who knows? Right. Like right. maybe yes, maybe no, maybe Bill's there later, mm -hmm. but there's a difference where we can sort of feel the proximity. Right. Yeah. And then start to kind of like try and tune into that then. So it's a matter of kind of looking for the moments where you feel it. Um, and then sort of trying to slow down in those moments and then open up. It's probably going to be a lot more fruitful than uh, trying to um, uh, trying to sort of reach out and make stuff happen. You know, because this is a challenge with, with sort of being a psychic medium, being a psychic medium on demand and having people show up and be like, hey, I want, you know, Petunia to come and talk to me right now. Right. I don't know where Petunia is. Right. Maybe she's not. Maybe she's moved on. Maybe she hasn't. Maybe she's here. Maybe she's not. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's one of those things we have to recognize that the spirit world isn't on call for us. Right. Um, 
and where and where it is more on call for some people mm-hmm. that's that's a, a skill that takes a lot of work and a lot of connection to make happen mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. interesting yeah it, well even in tarot reading right people work with some people work with spirit guides yeah i don't yeah i mine's just i feel like an interpreter yeah more. totally um and the synchronicities happen for sure but it's not because i'm tuned in particularly and that's probably my science esoteric combo mm-hmm. yeah well i think it's interesting you know because for me i draw no distinction like I'm, I'm not a fool i understand the distinction between science and yeah. esotericness and, and all those kinds of things um but i don't actually draw a distinction between them to me they're all just things things right. that i do right and yeah. so yeah so you know i mean we were talking before about uh, me and tarot and the idea of cognitive biases and stuff like yes. I'm, I'm always kind of working, you know, in, in all of these camps simultaneously mm-hmm. and depending on the person and the need and what's going on, we'll determine which, which, which amounts or which of those tools come out of the toolbox. Right. You know, which is, which is always an interesting thing as well. Yeah. You know? And I would say mine is more with the psychotherapy mm-hmm. too, right? That, um, I I would love to use tarot and psychotherapy. In my practice, I can't because I have a very conservative college that wouldn't think that was a cool thing to do at all. Yeah. But I certainly use psychotherapy in my tarot readings, yeah. right? Because that just comes naturally to me. So you you just look at dynamics and relationship issues and mm-hmm. conflict and all of those things and how people deal with it, and you yeah. see it. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we all bring something yeah. unique, I think, to to our readings. Yeah, and I think that you know, uh, people people who reside more or all in one of those camps or categories versus all of them or whatever, that's also awesome, right? Like, there's there's great stuff that happens in all of those areas, you know. And uh, and I, I don't I have no no criticism ever of anybody who's like, I am a psychic, you know, I'm a psychic reader or I'm a psychotherapy reader or I'm a intuitive or only by the book or yeah exactly okay i'm only going to read the meanings and that's the end of the conversation all right cool yeah you know like if people are if people are doing those things and doing them well they all work right yeah and if they're happy with that personally i love being able to draw from lots of different areas right astrology and numerology and crystals i love all of that stuff it's wonderful Mm -hmm. yeah yeah awesome well, let me say thanks for coming hey. down to Toronto to hang out with me today <laughs> and record this. Yeah, it's totally fun. And um, where can people find you? So, around death. Well, actually, you can go to ShellyCarter.ca. Mm-hmm. I have a web, a new website. Amazing. And on there, you can tap into um, the Allure Tarot and also death perceptions. I'd really encourage people to look at the death perceptions. Yeah, I was looking through the the book for the show before we started, and uh, it's tremendous and powerful. And you know, wh- what wherever whatever people's intentions are, each act, each piece of work is like a little bit of sorcery and, and yeah. magic. It's it's really True. profound, you True. know. Right. Yeah, right. and uh, and we have the Laura Tarot deck in the shop. So right. if anybody uh, everybody wants one, you can also get it from us. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, I greatly appreciate it. And if you can do me a favor by giving us a review in iTunes, by hitting one of the share buttons in whatever way you're getting hold of this, by letting people you know who would be excited to hear these kinds of conversations know that the podcast exists, that would be fantastic and much appreciated. And either way, thank you for listening.